Amen. Well, it's wonderful to see you all here this morning, and I invite you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, we'll be looking this morning at verses 10 to 17. Uh, We've been in a series in 1 Corinthians uh, for a while now, and uh, we're in chapter 3 and going to be looking at verses 10 to 17. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, uh, you should find a Bible in the pew in front of you. Uh, You should find a Bible there, and you can grab that and uh, encourage you to follow along with us. You'll find our passage on page 953 in the Bible that's provided. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. According to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we acknowledge before you now that this is your word, your eternal, true, and unchanging word. And we pray, Father, now that as we look to your word, that you would teach us and instruct us, and that you would change us and transform us for your glory. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, this is Easter Sunday. It is the Sunday that Christians have set aside to especially... Remember and rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation for the Christian faith. In fact, in this letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, Paul will say to the Corinthians, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then the Christian faith is empty. It's pointless. It's in vain. You know, there were many other messiahs that came before Jesus, many other self-professed messiahs. But most of them, you would not know their names, really all of them, you would not know their names unless you had some curiosity about who they were and you went to ancient Jewish documents to discover who they were, to discover their names. But Jesus is distinct, right? Jesus is different. Jesus' name is still proclaimed all across the world today. And why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That is the one thing that distinguishes him from all other pretenders. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 1 verse 4. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. 
In other words, all the claims that Jesus made, all the things that he said were verified, were confirmed when he supernaturally and miraculously rose from the dead. One of the things that our text teaches us this morning is that this resurrected Christ, this resurrected Christ loves and is committed to building his church. You know, it is His church for whom He died. It is His church for whom He was raised. It is His church that He says, I am building and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is His church that He has entrusted the gospel to and through His church that He will declare this message of salvation to the nations. And so we see in our passage this morning that this resurrected Christ is absolutely committed to the building of His church. And He invites us to join Him in this work. With that in mind, I want us to look at four steps to building Christ's church from our verses this morning. Four steps to building Christ's church. And the first step is this. You need to know what you're building. You need to know what you're building. Look there in verse 16 of our passage and we read these words. Paul says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now if you're following along actually in in, in chapter 3, if you're reading the chapter as a whole, uh, we looked at the previous verses last week. In verse 9 of chapter 3, Paul refers to the church as God's field. And then the latter part of verse 9, he says, as God's building. And then in the verses that we read this morning, verses 10 and following, Paul picks up on all this language of building. He identifies himself as a skilled master builder. And he talks about how there needs to be a proper foundation and you need to use proper materials in building. And he invites others to join him in building this thing, this building. But naturally we would ask the question, well, what is it that is being built? And it's apparent here in verse 16, right? As Paul's been using all this language of building, in verse 16 it becomes apparent what Paul has in mind it is to be built. And it is God's temple. But notice as he speaks of the temple of God, Paul addresses this to the church, to the people who are in Corinth. He says there in verse 16, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? One of the things that's interesting to note here as well is that both of those yous in verse 16, are in the plural. They're not the singular. He's speaking of them corporately, collectively. So those of us who are from the south, we have a better translation, right? Verse 16, Do you not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in y'all? Paul is saying, listen, in the Old Testament, this is a remarkable statement, in the Old Testament there was a physical temple And God promised to especially dwell with and to meet His people as they came to the temple. This is where His Spirit especially was to be and to dwell with His people. 
But Paul says now that Christ has come and now that Christ has died and now that Christ has been raised, the Spirit of God does not dwell in a physical temple in Jerusalem, but the Spirit of God dwells in you. Individually, personally, for all who have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And not just individually, but collectively, corporately, as the people of God gather together, God's Spirit is promised to be with His people. You are the temple of God. What a remarkable statement. The temple in Jerusalem, though, is not the only temple that the people in the church in Corinth would have been aware of. There were also temples throughout the city of Corinth, pagan temples. Temples that were erected to various pagan gods where people would go to offer their sacrifices and worship these pagan gods. But you know what Paul says? He says, you know, when you look around in Corinth, church, when you look around and you see all these ornate and grand temples, beautiful temples, and people are filing into them, piling into these temples to worship the pagan gods, I want you to know that there's only one true temple in Corinth. And it's you, this small band of believers who, as we've read in 1 Corinthians, are having a hard time getting along with each other, who are squabbling with each other, who are probably meeting in somebody's home and not many people know about it, who are trusting in a Jewish carpenter that was crucified by Rome. He says, you, you who are gathered in the name of Jesus, you are the temple of God. You are where God and His Spirit have promised to uniquely dwell. It reminds me of a passage in the Old Testament, Haggai the prophet, during his ministry to the people of God. The temple of God had been destroyed. But the people of God kept putting off building the temple. They kept saying, oh well, that'll come one day. That can be put off. It's not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's not yet time to build the temple of the Lord. And Haggai, part of his ministry was to call the people to give themselves to building the temple of the Lord. And so Haggai actually points out to them in his ministry, he says, listen, you keep putting off building the temple of the Lord. You say, oh, that can come later. But look at your own houses. Your houses are beautiful. They're renovated nicely. He even talks about the paneling in their houses and how beautiful and ornate it is. And he says, listen, you're so invested in your own homes, but you're not committed to building the temple of the Lord. Calls the people to repent. And then they invest themselves in building the house of God. You know, if we were to make a modern application, the modern application isn't to build some physical structure. The modern application is to give ourselves to building the people of God, right? To building the true temple of God. The people of God in whom God's Spirit dwells. It's like Haggai would say to us today, listen, you watch HGTV 24-7, right? You got it down. You can flip a house. You can turn a room. You can, it looks like a disaster. And then at the end, somebody wants to take a picture and put it in a magazine. You've got it down. You can renovate. You can renovate well. But are you investing in building the house of God, the people of God? You might say, oh, I don't have time for that. I've got this project. You know, I'm building a porch on the back of my house or I'm remodeling the kitchen or I'm in remodeling the bathroom. I don't have time to invest my energy and my resources and my time in building the people of God. Now listen, let me say, if you're remodeling your house 
I'm not picking on you this morning, okay? I have no idea who's remodeling their house this morning. Is it wrong to remodel your house? Absolutely not. In fact, it could be a good thing. But the issue is priorities, just like it was in Haggai's day. The issue is priorities. What do you love? What do you treasure? What do you value? Just like in Haggai's day, if we understood what it was that God was calling us to invest in, God was calling us to build, we might be far more inclined to love it and embrace it and give ourselves to it. God is calling us to build His temple, the people of God in whom His Spirit dwells. A second thing we need in building Christ's church is a solid foundation. You see this in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3. Look there and we read these words. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now we all know that when you start a building project, one of the things that's absolutely key and essential is that you have a solid and firm foundation. That's absolutely necessary. And Paul, being the founder of the church in Corinth, says that he laid a foundation for this church. And what was the foundation for the church? The foundation for this church was Jesus Christ. Christ. He said, I laid a foundation for the church, I laid a foundation for you, and the foundation was Jesus Christ. Now, how do you build a church? How do you lay a foundation for a church that is Jesus Christ? Well, it means, my friends, that Jesus Christ and the promises of His coming, like we see all in the Old Testament, the promises of His coming and His redemption and salvation are the foundation upon which the church is built. It means that Jesus' life, His perfect, sinless life, serves as the foundation upon which the church is built. It means that Jesus' death, His sacrificial death in which He offered Himself as a sacrifice, as an atonement for the sins of His people, taking their condemnation and wrath, is the foundation upon which the church is built. It means that Jesus' resurrection in which He conquered death and offers eternal life to all who believe in Him and trust in Him is the foundation of the Christian church. It means that Jesus' second coming in which He will come again to rule and to reign is the foundation for the Christian church. It means that Jesus is the promises of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus is the foundation of the church. And what does this look like? It means that Jesus is central and His work is central in all that the church does. In the preaching of the church. In the singing of the church. In the services of the church. In the children's ministry in the church. In the outreach ministry of the church. In mission endeavors that go all across the world. Jesus Christ is central. He is the focus. He is the heartbeat and passion of the church. This is what it means to build a church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You know, some people kind of joke that Easter is the highest attendance Sunday of the year, right? For churches all over the world. I saw a picture of this last week online. There was a, cars like stacked on top of each other and people were trying to, climb out, trying to climb out of the cars 
and then the caption read at the bottom, uh, church parking lot on Easter Sunday, right? It's like everybody tries to clamor to, to church on Easter Sunday, and, and, and we, we laugh about that, we joke about that. And listen, there's some concern if, if Easter is the only Sunday of the year that you attend church. But let me also say that there is something right about that. There is something right about that. Because Easter Sunday is a day that we set aside to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know what? If there is any one place on the earth that you need to go, if you want to hear the message of Jesus Christ, if you want to hear His death, if you want to hear His resurrection, there is only one place in all the world that you need to go in order to hear that message, and that is a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. It's the church that's been entrusted with the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the church that is built upon the foundation of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. It's the church that God has sovereignly deposited this message to, entrusted this message with, and declared that the church should proclaim it to all nations. And so, my friends, there is only one place in this world that you will hear the message that you are a rebellious sinner. That you have rebelled against God and you are worthy of His just condemnation. But that God sent His Son and He offered Himself in love as a perfect sacrifice for your sins. And then He was raised from the dead conquering death and now He offers you eternal life if you will repent and believe in Him. There's only one place on earth that you'll hear that message and it's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's the church that is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And that's why we must build the church on this foundation. Because God would have you and me and those who have never heard to experience the life-transforming message of the gospel of Jesus Christ through His people, the church. So we need to know what we're building. We need to build on a solid foundation, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third step in building Christ's church is ongoing construction. Ongoing construction. Look there in verses 10 and 11 again and we read these words. Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I laid the foundation, someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. You see here that when Paul laid the foundation for the church in Corinth, Paul assumed that there would be other people who would come behind him who would contribute to building on that foundation. This made sense in Paul's day because buildings didn't go up nearly as quickly as they do in our own day. You know, the temple in Paul's day actually took 46 years to build and thousands of people contributed to its construction. This is, this is kind of the idea that Paul has in mind earlier in chapter 3 when he talks about, he uses a different, a different imagery, he uses the imagery of a field, but he talks about how I planted and Apollos watered. So I put the seed down, Apollos came behind me, here's someone else contributing to the work. He watered and then the growth came. You see, Paul assumes that there will be others who will be contributing to this foundation, others contributing to the growth of this work. 
And it's also apparent from our passage here, in particular in Paul's other writings, that in Paul assuming that others would build upon this work, he does not just have Christian leaders in mind. Not just Christian leaders like himself who was an apostle or like Apollos who was a pastor and a church planter. Notice in these verses here, notice the way that Paul uses these indefinite descriptions as he thinks about those who will build upon the church. It's it's open-ended. He says in verse 10, each one. Verse 12, anyone. Verse 13, each one. Verse 14, anyone. Verse 15, anyone. All of these are references to those who would build upon this foundation. Anyone, each one. Paul has in mind the idea that many people will be contributing to the building up of this temple, of this church. And of course, as Paul envisions many contributing to this work, he has the church itself in mind. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he's writing to the church in Ephesus and he says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Do you see the progression there? He gives to the church certain leaders. The leaders in particular are to teach and faithfully preach and minister the word. And that's to equip the body, the believers in the church, to build up the church. And as Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, understand this, that everybody in Ephesus, everybody in Ephesus was not a professional Christian. They weren't pastoral staff. These were normal folks. These folks had jobs. They had families. They had responsibilities. But Paul assumes that they have so ordered their lives so plan their schedules, so determined to invest their energy and their strength that they are significantly contributing to the building up of Christ's church. In fact, Paul speaks similarly to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where he's talking about every Christian has been given a gift. Every Christian has been given some spiritual gift, and this spiritual gift is to be used, what? He says it over and over again in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, for the building up of the body of Christ. To build up Christ's church. You know, as we think about our own church here, Crawford Avenue Baptist Church, our church was established in 1881. That was a long time ago. And there was a small band of believers who laid the foundation for this church. Laid a foundation for this church on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ and Him raised. And you know that throughout the years, many, many people have built on that foundation. Pastors and Sunday school teachers and lay leaders and prayer warriors and People who did outreach ministry into the neighborhood and went on mission trips in the name of this church. And as a result, by God's grace, this church has been a gospel witness for over 125 years. And now, my friends, we have the opportunity 
to continue to invest and to build upon that foundation and the work that has gone before us, to build and contribute to building this church. And here's Paul's vision as he thinks about the churches. What's necessary for the church is ongoing construction. And Paul's vision is that everyone would be in the game. Right? No one would be sitting on the bench. No one would just be cheering from the stands. Everybody's got a role to play. Everybody's engaged. Everybody's giving themselves. Everybody's a team player. Everybody's sacrificing for the sake of the team to see the mission be moved forward. It's ongoing construction. And we're all called to give to that work. Fourth and finally, the fourth step in building Christ's church is final inspection. Final inspection. And this is found in verses 12 to 15. If we're going to build, we need to know that there's going to be a final inspection. Verse 12 we read, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You know, when you're engaged in a major building project, you have to know that in the end there's going to be an inspection. You've got to meet certain quote, uh, code, you've got to meet certain standards, or you won't be able to occupy the building. What Paul says here is that as we're contributing to this building project of building God's people, of building Christ's church, that there's coming a day in which there'll be a final inspection. He refers to it there in our passage as the day. This is actually referred to all throughout the Scriptures. It's known in various places as the day of the Lord. Paul refers to it earlier in this letter in chapter 1 verse 8 as the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the day in which every man and every woman will stand before God to give an account for their souls, for what they have done that is evil and for what they have done that is good. Paul states it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Do you see what Paul is saying here? Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ now sits at the right hand of His Father. And there is coming a day where every man and every woman will stand before this resurrected Christ to give an account for their soul. And notice in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, notice that Paul indicates here that on that day, everything will be laid bare. He says there in verse 13, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. You catch all those verbs, important verbs there? It will be manifest, it will be disclosed, it will be revealed. Nothing will be hidden. There'll be no sense that like, well, there was some evidence that actually wasn't brought to the table. Well, there were some things that were overlooked. 
No, everything will be made known. And the judgment, the pronouncement of judgment on that day will be final and settled forever, for all eternity. There'll be no retrial. There'll be no appeals. It will be settled forever. And so Paul says, therefore, build with care. Build with care. And what does it mean to build with care? You see in our passage here, part of what it means to build with care is to use good materials. He says there in verse 12, if we're going to build on this foundation, we can build with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. Now, what is it, what's, what's kind of the key thing about those ingredients that distinguishes them from one another? The, the key thing about those ingredients is whether or not they will stand the fire of testing on the day of judgment. Gold, silver, precious stones, it will endure. Wood, hay, stubble, it will be consumed. And, and what does it mean to build with good materials? What does it mean to build with gold and silver and precious stones? Well, it means to build with materials that are consistent with the foundation which has been laid, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the church has been laid, as the, church, as the foundation has been laid for the church, the, the, the foundation is Jesus Christ, we are continuing to build consistently with that foundation. And that's what will last on the day of judgment. You know, it's possible to build a building with shoddy materials, right? Unfortunately, people do it. Over time, though, it begins to show up. And you know, you can build a church with shoddy materials, too. You can build a big church with shoddy materials. The Corinthians here, Paul's, one of Paul's main concerns was that the Corinthians were trying to build the church on particular personalities. Paul says that, that's, not, that's not good material to build with. You know, some people are saying, I'm of Paul, and others are saying, well, no, I like Apollos better. He's my favorite leader or speaker. Paul says, no, don't build like that. You know, it's possible to build the church on greed. It's saddened to say that some people build the church out of a desire to get rich. It's possible to build the church on pride. Or maybe we should say insecurity. Our desire to make a name for ourselves, to prove ourselves, to show that we're something. To get the praise and the glory of others. It's possible to build the church on the wisdom and the philosophies of this world. This was another concern that Paul had for the church in Corinth. That they were so fascinated with the philosophies and ideas of the world that they were bringing it into the church. And so it's possible today, right, to build the church on kind of whatever's the popular thought of the day. Whatever pop psychology or self-help that's particular popular and, you know, sprinkle it with some Bible verses and say, you know, if you just, if you do these things, you'll, you'll have a good life, you'll be happy. Those things may have their places, but they're surely not the foundation or the materials with which we should build the church. Paul says that those who use shoddy materials to build his church, to build Christ's church, he says in verse 15 that in the end, 
what they have built will be burned up in the testing, but they will be saved. Now that's interesting. Why would the work be built up but they be saved? Well, because we're saved by grace, right? We're not saved by what we build. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so there will be some who truly trust in Christ but build with shoddy material. And on the last day, and this is so sad, right? Everything that they have built whether it be the church or a ministry or whatever, will be consumed in fire. They have nothing to show for it. By the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, they will be saved. And then there's others. Even a more severe warning in verse 17. Paul says in verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy And you are that temple. So here Paul says that there will be others that their work and ministry and life is so destructive to the church that they will prove themselves to not be Christians. And in destroying the church, they themselves will be destroyed, which means they themselves will fall under God's eternal condemnation and judgment. It reminds us of Jesus' words when He says there will be people on the last day and the day of judgment that will say, Jesus, didn't we do all these great things in Your name? Didn't we help people and didn't we teach people and didn't we do all these great things? And Jesus will say, depart from Me. I never knew You. I wonder as we read passages like this, I wonder how many cultural Christians, how many casual churchgoers, how many divisive and grumpy church members? How many greedy and dishonest pastors will be shocked on the day of judgment? But Paul has more to say. He says, for those who build with care, for those who build on the foundation of the gospel and they build with the gospel, there will be a reward. An eternal reward that will never fade, that will never perish, that will be yours forever. And how do you build with the gospel? I think about our mission statement as a church. Our mission statement is to glorify God by enjoying and living and proclaiming the gospel. So we build with the gospel by delighting in the gospel ourselves, embracing Christ as our treasure, as our only hope of salvation, and living under the grace and the mercy of God. And then by living the gospel out, by loving others who are different than us, loving others who are hard to love, loving them with the love of Christ, serving them, forgiving them, caring for them. Encouraging them, moving towards others with the love of Christ. And then by sharing the message of Christ with others, this good news with those who are broken and needy around us and among us. And even sharing this good news to the uttermost parts of the earth as we support those who go and proclaim this message to the nations. Paul says, if you build the church with the gospel, if you build the church on the gospel, you will receive an eternal reward from the resurrected Christ. On that day of judgment, you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my kingdom. And so these are the four things, the four steps 
and building Christ's church. We need to know what we're building. We need a solid foundation, ongoing construction, and we need to be aware that there's a final inspection. You know, you may be here this morning, you may say, well, you know, I I hear what you're saying, but I've never really been much on the church. I didn't grow up in the church. Or maybe I had a painful experience in the church, and that's very real. Some people have been really hurt in the church. Or maybe you say, you know, I'm just not much for religious institutions, or maybe I'm just not much for being around people. I don't know, there could be all kinds of excuses you could be thinking of right now why this just isn't for me. Well, I've got some hope for you. It's right here in the passage. Look there in verse 10. This is the last thing. Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. And then notice there, Paul, this is remarkable. You see this with Paul all the time. There's deep humility and there's a joyful confidence in God. So he says, By the grace of God, it's nothing I've done. Right? There's humility. By the grace of God, I have become a skilled master builder. Right? God's, God's enabled me by His grace that when I preach the gospel and I minister the gospel to others, that churches are established and they're built upon the firm foundation of Jesus and the gospel. Now here's why that's encouraging. Paul was not always a skilled master builder of the church. In fact, Paul hated the church. You know anything about Paul before he became a Christian? He persecuted the church. He hated the church. In fact, he was on the road to Damascus, cursing the church, ready to destroy the church, when Jesus appeared to him. What was it that changed Paul? What was it that that changed him from one who so despised the church to being a skilled master builder of the church? He encountered the resurrected Christ. And he was never the same. And my friends, that's what needs to happen for every single one of us who are here this morning. We need to encounter the resurrected Christ. How do you do that? You must acknowledge, first of all, that you're a sinner. That even by your best attempts and best intentions, you have fallen short of God's standard and you are in need of His salvation and His grace and His mercy and redemption. And then you must go to Christ personally yourself and encounter Jesus yourself and trust in His death for your sins as a perfect sacrifice for your sins and trust in Him as the resurrected Lord who conquered death so that you might have eternal life. You can say it very simply to Jesus. I confess that I am a sinner and I trust in You as my Savior and my only Lord. Listen, don't look to the church to save you. The church can't save you. I can't save you. Nobody here today can save you. Only Jesus can save you. Look to Christ in faith. And then by the grace of God, He will change you and transform you. And commit yourself, even as the Apostle Paul did, to giving yourself to loving and caring and building His church. The church whom Christ Himself died for, was raised for, has entrusted the gospel with, and is committed to building. 
May God give us the grace to do so. Let's pray. Father, for each one of us who claim that Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Lord, who claim that we believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, we recognize that this Jesus, whom we worship and praise this morning, He has called us to a mission. That in professing Him as Lord, He has now given us a call to be His disciples. And that discipleship is especially to be expressed among your people and with your people, by locking arms with your people and being on mission with your people. Father, help us to be faithful to this call. We thank you for Jesus and we pray, Lord, that each one of us would be ready to meet him on the day of judgment. That we would hear those good words, well done, my good and faithful servant, and that we would enter into the joy of your kingdom. And it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.